So Money, episode 1478, The Best Ways to Teach Teens About Money with Dan Cheeks, author of First to a Million. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I want to give as many action steps as I can to your, your listeners. One of the first things I would do as a parent, um, well, I am a parent, but for, for your parents out there, is to include your teenager, or even younger than that, in the day-to-day activities of your of your small business that is your household. Welcome to So Money, everybody, live from Miami, recording this introduction while looking at the beach, looking out actually at a cruise ship on the water, I'm sitting in my hotel room right now, doing a little bit of work, yes, on a vacation, yes, but you know what? I choose this. I choose this life. <laughs> life is good when you get to be in Miami with your best friend, enjoy yourself, and also cater to your So Money podcast. So here we are. And I'm really into today's topic. My kids aren't teenagers yet. So I was taking a lot of notes during this episode. Our guest is Dan Sheeks. He is the founder of Sheeks Freaks which is a platform that helps teens use specific methods of saving, earning, and investing to help them eventually, get this, buy real estate, invest in real estate in their early 20s and achieve financial independence at a young age. Dan is also the author of First to a Million, A Teenager's Guide to Achieving Early Financial Freedom. And he has a lot of strategies and concepts and mindset shifts for our beloved teenagers. And even those in their early 20s, his advice uh, is road tested. He's a high school teacher. He is a dad. And we get into it. We talk about allowances versus having jobs, the pros and cons to social media influence as it pertains to learning about money and why Gen Z might be our savior. You know, I look at my kids and for his challenging as it is raising them sometimes, I'm like, you know what? They're the future. And the future, I think, is bright as long as we continue to support them and give them the important tools. So without further ado, here's Dan Sheeks. Dan Sheeks, welcome to So Money. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We are so glad to have you. We're going to talk about Gen Z and money. If you're a parent in the audience or a grandparent or an aunt and uncle, a grandparent, and you have someone in your life who is between 15 and 25, and your hope for them is that they will become money savvy, be thoughtful about money, feel empowered around money, this episode is for you. And Dan, I couldn't think of a better guest to have with us. Uh, not only are you the founder of Sheik's Freaks, which is a, a fantastic website platform with so much content, success stories, resources for young adults as they are navigating their, just starting out their financial lives, their financial education. But you have also a new book out, which came out not too long ago, First to a Million, A Teenager's Guide to Achieving Early Financial Freedom. So first, just welcome to the show and thanks for everything that you're doing for these, for these young folks. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. And, and you missed one important thing. I'm a high school business teacher. I've been doing that for 20 years. So Gen Z is, is my life. It's what I do all day, every day. 
Um, and yeah. And by the way, I think you and I are fighting the same fight, right? We're just trying to spread that financial awareness to everyone. I I will attest that, you know, growing up, I I was lucky really. It's so, it's just luck. Like the family that you get dropped into (laughs) and then what they, uh, choose to teach you, it has to be conscious sometimes, you know, and sometimes not, uh, my parents, I don't think they realized how much attention I was paying to their squabbles around money or the stress that my father would bring home around potentially getting laid off. This was the 90s and tech tech consolidation happening in his field. And so I inherited some of their financial, uh, the good and the bad, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I think that's for me, when people ask me, like, what's something to know as I'm trying to teach my kid about money? I try to say like, Sometimes it's not about sitting down and giving them a book or a lesson. It's just recognizing that they're watching you. So being conscious of that is is so important. Like, and sometimes it's important to show the good with the bad, but you're the expert. Tell me where parents should start. And we're talking now specifically teenagers and upwards. These days, at least, how do you get your kid, kid's attention? Uh, well, I don't think it's too hard. I, today's young people, teens, Gen Z, um, they have more access to financial information and, and in an entertaining way, right? When you look at TikTok and YouTube and um, Instagram, they have so much avail- available to them to learn about money. And I, I would say the average teen isn't too concerned about their financial future. Um, that's just the way teens are built. Uh, but when you can make it interesting and entertaining, which a lot of those different social media influencers out there are doing, by the way, some of them are giving good advice. Some of them are, are not, but they, uh, it's pretty easy to pique their interest and get them on board with some, having some good money conversations in your house, you know, at the dinner table, driving around to run different errands and stuff like that. I was reading a statistic the other day that a lot of Gen Zers, um, the great recession of 2008, 2009, when they were maybe like some of the older ones were maybe just nine or 10 years old for them. That was an incredibly impactful period in their lives, not because they themselves were going through financial duress, but their parents were, perhaps they saw their homes go through foreclosure. Perhaps they saw their mom or dad or both lose their jobs. How important is it to expose your kids to the hard stuff that's going on that you may be, um, you know, having a hard time making ends meet and mm. at, 15, I feel like they're old enough to get it. But, but, you know, I think sometimes parents, we want to keep our kids quote unquote protected. What's your thought on that? Uh, my thought would be to include them with, with everything going on in, you know, every household is kind of a small business and there's money coming in, there's money going out, there's, there's emergency expenses, things coming out, you know, out of left field that you didn't expect to happen. Sometimes, you know, positive, maybe uh, parents get a bonus from work that they didn't expect. So I think one, you know, I want to give as many action steps as I can to your your listeners. One of the first things I would do as a parent, um, well, I am a parent, but for, for your parents out there is to include your teenager or even younger than that in the day-to-day activities of your, of your small business that is your household. Um, And that can look a lot of different ways, having conversations with them about, all the different revenue streams that maybe you have coming in and all the expenses you have coming out, sit down with them when it comes time to pay your bills, your monthly bills, and you're on you know, a computer and you're, and you're clicking through the websites, have your child, your teenager, 
click the mouse, have them actually go in and log into your checking account and transfer the money or pay the bills. And that's going to, you know, create some questions, you know, the teen might say, well, why are we paying this much to that company? That seems like a lot of money. Um, well, that's a great conversation to have in the moment, a teaching moment for them, including them with, you know, looking at all the different accounts you have as, as an adult, your retirement accounts, your savings accounts, your checking accounts, your brokerage account, and walking them through the ins and outs and the reasons why you're doing all that stuff. But as soon as I say that, some parents, I think, get a little standoffish because there are many parents out there, probably not so many of your listeners, but some of them for sure, who are a little bit insecure about their own financial literacy and their own uh, money management skills. Because as, as a nation, we are financially illiterate because we don't teach people how to manage their money. But but even the parent who is not great with money still knows more than your child who basically probably knows very little or, or nothing. So even every parent has things you can teach your child, um, even if you're teaching them to learn from the mistakes you're making so they don't make those same mistakes. Yeah, I, I think you're 100% right about the literacy is not just something that has to come from a textbook. And that's, I think, where schools get it wrong, too, because schools have this insecurity. Teachers, you know, I how could I be an expert on money? How am, why am I being tasked to educate my students around money? I'm I got my issues. I'm, I'm you know, I can teach history. I can teach geometry, but money. And I think what we often forget is that, well, to your point, just the life experience sometimes makes you an expert, like the lived experience. I mean, as I say to my audience, we're all experts, <laughs> you know, like, cause we've all made mistakes. We've all had wins and that means something that's worth sharing. But I think that the, to your point too, like the, the practice of going through the motions of something, whether that is clicking through to your parents' bank or my mother, I remember, would take me to the department store to pay off her credit card. This was back mm -hmm. in the 80s. So I had no idea what she was doing. And she explained, well, we bought some clothes earlier in the month. I'm coming now to pay for them. This card gives me permission, gives me 30 days to come up with the money to pay for it. Okay. And then I, years later, my father showing me as an immigrant, you know, a lot of times you, you feel like the right to passage in America is getting credit. And he had proudly collected over the years, decades worth of credit cards and debit cards and all of them inactive, but mm -hmm. he just loved, he was like a museum of like plastic in his, in his office. He would pull out the drawer and that started a curiosity around credit for me and credit scores. And did I become a genius in the moment? No, but I think just having access and exposure to this stuff, because once you're off in college, you know, you're off on your own a little bit at, or a lot. What are some things you want parents to really educate their kids on, whether through action or just speaking before they are, quote unquote, on their own, whether that's college or someplace else outside the house? Yeah, there's there's a few things that I would like parents to do, um, but you hit you hit the nail on the head. It's it's as a parent myself, it's all about teaching your child to manage their own money before they leave the safety of your household, before they go out there on their own, whether that be at college or or you know when they, whenever they move out of your house, and they're at that point, then basically um, managing their money by themselves with you know input and advice, um, hopefully not too much control from the parents at that point, but it's about getting them ready. Um, and schools just don't do that. Um, as you kind of mentioned, uh, it's changing it, personal finance as a required class 
in high school is becoming more and more common, but it's still the minority uh, that get that kind of a class or that have to take that kind of a class. That's a class that I teach in high school um, that I think every student should have to take, but it's, we're not quite there yet. So it's really left on the parents to educate their child about money. So um, one thing I would highly recommend that parents do um, for their, you know, they should do this themselves if they don't already, but they should have their teenager do it is to set them up on some kind of an app and they're free where they're, the teenager is tracking their income and expenses. Um, the mint, uh, app is a great one. You need a budget is a great one. They're, they're free and they're actually kind of fun to use. So a teenager doesn't have a ton of money coming in and out of their lives, but they have some, right? And so we're going to start with those baby steps where they're managing maybe a few hundred dollars in their monthly budget by, you know, maybe they have a part-time job or they get an allowance or some kind of other kind of revenue stream. So they're tracking that money coming in and the app is also tracking their money going out. The best way to do that is to have a checking account with your teenager. And I also recommend a savings account where they have a debit card or even an authorized user on a credit card so that all these electronic digital transactions that the teenager is making, maybe buying themselves lunch or buying something at, at, at Target or Walmart, those are automatically going into the app. They're being tracked. So the teenager can then look at their own spending even when they're at home and say, oh, here's how much I spent on entertainment last month. Here's how much I spent on food. Here's how much I spent on uh, clothing. And they can, you know, the, all these really nice, pretty pie charts and bar charts are generated by the apps where they can not only compare like month to month, but even year to year, eventually their spending habits. Um, and I think that's actually way more important than creating a budget with a teenager um, is having them track their income and expenses. That's much more meaningful then I think a budget budgets are important and I wouldn't say don't have one, but I would, if, if I had to choose one, I'd have that teenager tracking income and expenses through one of those free apps. You brought up allowances, you brought up jobs when you're a teenager and you're trying to really learn about money. What's better to get an allowance from parents or to go out there and work? I've, I've seen stats that say the entrepreneurs today, what they, a lot of them share in common is they had jobs when they were 15, 16. I think I'm in the job camp, but at the same time, you want to make sure that they are not, it's not deflecting from studies and, you know, academics and stuff like that. So how do you balance that? And, and what do you think are, if you want either or, like what are the best ways to practice the allowance and the job? Yeah. So I'll start with the job. I'm also in the job camp. I think teenagers should should be working in in some way at some point, even if it's just a part-time job in the summer when they're not in school. Uh, I, I had jobs growing up and I thought it, I think it taught me a lot about understanding the value of a dollar and, and you know, what hard work is and the, the trade-off between donating your time to some company and, and getting paid for that. But the other end of the spectrum would be my wife. She really didn't have any jobs in high school or college what she did do was she was an amazing soccer player and she ended up getting a full ride scholarship all four years to the university that she attended. So she kind of paid for a lot of her education, all of her education through the work she did on the soccer field. So every teenager is a little different. Every family circumstance is a little different, but even my wife, she did some babysitting, you know, here and there. Uh, she could still fit that in with her, you know, her club soccer schedule in the summer and stuff. So I think every teenager should have a job at some level at some point just to understand the value of a dollar and what it takes to earn a dollar. When it comes to allowance, there's a lot of different mindsets around how to, how to do an allowance and how to, how to 
organize that with your, with your child or your teenager to just keep it simple. I would say, don't just give them an allowance for nothing. Um, have them have some kind of skin in the game when it comes to earning that allowance, whether that's taking out the trash, emptying the dishwasher, doing some other chores around the house, maintaining some good grades, have something tied to that allowance. So they feel like they're actually earning it. Uh, and they are in, in a way rather than it just comes to them no matter, no matter what. Every generation has its trip ups, you know, in terms of the influences that may not be that great. This generation, I'd say social media and the pressures of trying to keep up with everybody on social media. It's not just the Joneses, it's the Kardashians and everybody that they're seeing virtually. What are some of the challenges that you want families to be aware of when it comes to driving them home the important message around financial literacy to their kids uh, as, as they live in a world where there is a lot of pressure, there is a, there's a lot of distraction. And I think we'll get into this later. I'd like to talk about the changing nature of work, you know, as they get older and, and, and a lot of Gen, Gen Z has a, a very set mind around how they want to work, it seems, mm-hmm. you know, and it's different than maybe older generations. And how does that impact their ability to make money and be financially successful? That's for later in the, in the, in, on the podcast. But just curious, because you work with teenagers and you have kids and with it, when it comes to Gen Z and their distractions, what's getting in the way of their ability to master money at this age? I think the, the most recent trend in the last five years, although it's changed changed for the better in the last couple of years, is the idea that you can get rich quick. Um, a lot of social media influencers are kind of, you know, promoting different tactics and strategies that anybody can do and then even teenagers or young people to to get that quick buck or to, you know, to make lots and the 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 cryptocurrency world and and the meme stock world and um you know, the, the NFT world and, and all of this stuff kind of play into that because they, some people did make a lot of money, um, when GameStop went sky high and they sold at the right time and, and they, and they were happy to tell everybody about that. So they kind of see some of these things happening, but as we all know, those things are, it's a little bit more luck than anything. And you're, you're taking a ton of risk by involving yourself in any of those different strategies, the tried and true methods, the, the, the methods that are proven to work to build wealth, um, they don't happen overnight. They don't happen in a year or two. So I think that is the, the biggest barrier right now to reaching young people is to, you know, cause they're seeing all these tantalizing messages on social media and these different TikToks where if you do this or you do that, or you subscribe to this, you can make vast amounts of money very quickly. Um, but telling them, no, that's, that's probably not going to work for you. It's probably not going to work for anyone. Here's the real way that you should do it. But I will say the good news is I've seen in my classroom, cause I'm you know, talking to kids all the time about their views on money. The last couple of years that has changed. And I think it was a little bit of a result of COVID when they realized, oh, stock market doesn't always go up. That does come down sometimes. And oh, cryptocurrency isn't always going to be skyrocketing and growing um, at the rate that it was. And as of right now, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, they are at pretty low numbers. If you got in a year ago, you're hurting really bad. And so they see that these strategies aren't, um, fail proof and that they can lose money, vast amounts of money, uh, if they don't pay attention and and make some smart choices. Right. I've had guests on the show who have talked about, you know, the meme stocks and it's, it's a lot of, it's too, it's unfortunately, it's a lot of young people getting caught up in that, but mm. maybe the silver lining is that they're learning their mistakes earlier in life. 
there's some truth yeah. to that. Um, yeah. I think a lot of young people were caught up in the, the Robinhood app as well because it made trading so easy and it kind of, you know, it kind of promoted the day trading mentality, which if we look at statistics, that's not a good way to invest in the stock market. Um, it, and I tell my kids in my classroom, the best way to invest in the stock market is, the tr is, is just a low cost index fund. And it is not sexy. It is not exciting. It is actually really boring. But is, when, when you do start investing in the stock market, and some of my students are already doing that, I tell them the quicker you can go from where you are now to just index funds, the better. And if you need to play around with some individual company stocks or some mutual funds before you get there, that's okay. I did that too. I, I felt like I could beat the system or I could come up with some kind of strategy where I would beat the average, but I quickly learned that I couldn't and, and people much smarter than me can't. And so as soon as you, the sooner you get to that boring index fund strategy for 10 plus years, the better. Um, and some of my students will go right there. They'll, they'll, They'll go straight to index funds. They'll listen to what I have to say and they'll say, I don't want to mess with anything. I'll just do what you tell me. And that's boring and that's fine. But many other students, you know, they need to play around a little bit. They need to learn their lessons the hard way. And that's fine too. Yeah. And there are, I believe, apps that are, that mimic the stock market. So you can play without any risk and with fake dollars and kind of learn what it mm -hmm. means to, you know, ride the volatility and all that important stuff. You brought up investing, which I'm so happy you did. Sometimes parents want to invest for their kids through say a custodial IRA. I I'm I'm generally a fan if you can if you can do this, but one part of it that kind of frightens me is when the custodial account transfers ownership to the teenager at around well depending on the state it could be 18, it could be 21 and without the foundation of how to manage money, I worry about that money getting blown. And so what's your advice to parents who want to invest on their kid's behalf, maybe starting as young as five, six years old through these custodial um, IRAs, which you can open through virtually any major brokerage, what should be in tandem with to that? You know, like what is the education that has to happen so that when they turn 18, they're not spending it mm -hmm. all frivolously? Again, it's kind of, it's a personal choice. Um, I myself am not as big of a fan as those custodial investment accounts, you know, like setting up a Roth IRA for your child, for example. I'm not as big of a fan of those as some other people, um, mostly because I don't think that teaches them anything. You're, you're going to give them some wealth down the road and that's great, but I'm a much bigger fan. You know, if you're going to put, uh, you know, let's just say hundred dollars a month into that account for them, uh, or, or they're, they actually have to be earning with a Roth IRA, right? So maybe it's their money, your money going into that account. I would rather a parent spend that money on teaching their teenager about how to manage money, how to, how to use their own money, how to grow their money, teaching them the skills. So then when they do turn 18 or older and they're starting to have a sizable, you know, according relative to them, they have a sizable income. They're starting to earn a regular paycheck that they are comfortable and confident with what they're going to do with that rather than just giving them money and, and then, you know, they just spend it all or they, mm -hmm. they do invest in something very risky. What are some maybe societal myths about Gen Z that you want to bust because maybe we've given them a bad rap because we see too many headlines. It says they're lazy. I see, I feel like millennials got the same criticisms yeah. too. Complaints of probably my generation too, but yes. you know, 
they, they're nonconformist, which I think is great, but that they don't want to work the traditional nine to five. They are because they're on social media a lot. They see the potential of monetizing through TikTok and these other platforms and they want to get rich quick and they think they can. My son the other day said to me, mom, can we just get, can we just start a YouTube channel for our family already and call it a day as if it's, <laughs> as if that's the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, he's eight, he, you know, so I want to hear from you though, like what are the real the beauties of this generation that we really need to cultivate and leverage and support because they're going to help us out one day. I always say Gen Z is going to save us all if we let them. <laughs> uh, I don't disagree with you there. I, I think the where we don't give Gen Z enough credit is with how incredibly capable and and able they are to sift through vast amounts of information and identify that information as either good information, I'm not sure, or that's obviously bad information. Um, and so I, I mentioned earlier, we were talking about, you know, there are good social media influencers and there are bad ones and bad meaning that, you know, they are trying to push some kind of a scam or, uh, you know, get rich quick scheme that really is just going to make them money and nobody else. I have found that my students and, and members in my community, by the way, that really are, much more able to identify, um, the scammy kind of accounts, the ones that are promising too much for too little, uh, they're more apt to, or able to recognize that than we would maybe give them credit for. Uh, and that's, I think that's just because they're so used to consuming so much information in so many different ways that for them, it's natural to kind of put different types into different buckets and, and actually recognize what they're the value or, or lack of. They have a good BS detector. Yes. That's a, that's a good way to summarize it. Yes. So tell us a little bit more about first to a million, a teenager's guide to achieving early financial freedom. When you began writing this book, what was the impetus besides the fact that you just had a lot of knowledge to share from your career and personal life, but what was really the, the light bulb moment? If you know, I got to write this book and I got to get it out there. That's a great question. Um, I, I, I've recognized for a long time, there's a lot of great content out there, books, um, podcasts, YouTube channels um, that are teaching the basic personal finance strategies to young people. Um, and so I, and that, and that's so important, right? That that's critical to have that foundation, just basic, per, how, how to manage a credit card, how to build a good credit score, checking and savings accounts, you know, things that, that are just basic personal finance strategies. But probably about seven or eight years ago, my wife and I found the early financial independence movement. Some people call it the fire movement where you're, you're, you're saving a, a high percentage of your income and or investing in passive income streams. And, and a lot of people choose real estate for that. Um, and we went down that rabbit hole and uh, consumed as much information as we could about that early financial independence idea that, that, that you can retire before 65. And, and we set ourselves on a path to, to go down, down that journey. And, and we have, um, today my wife is retired and I'm semi-retired and we're both in our forties. And mostly that's because we, we chose real estate, um, investing as our main vehicle to get there. But you know, you could, you could just do the index funds. There's, there are different ways to get to that early financial independence point. And so for me, the impetus was I knew that this was information that most people don't know. Most adults don't know, let alone teenagers, that just the idea that if you 
do things differently with your money and you employ certain strategies that you don't have to work till you're 65. You don't have to do that nine to five till you're 65 grind. And so the book was, the book is a personal finance book, but it is much more niche because it's about educating the reader about the strategies and topics and concepts that you, you can, you don't need to, you can employ to reach early financial freedom or early financial independence. So when my wife and I were learning that and we saw it working in our lives and in our friends' lives that we had made in this community, I knew that I needed to write a book that would teach teenagers or Gen Z about early financial independence. What are the pros and cons? And, and my book was always about here is the information, but now you decide if you want to use it, you know, because there's nothing wrong with working until you're 65. I just think it's better to have the option of whether you not whether or not you want to work until you're 65. And so by giving them the information, you know, things like frugality and high savings rate, um, passive income, side hustles, by just and even just mindset around money, by giving them those tools, they then can decide, yes, I'm going to use this now, or yes, I'm going to I'm going to use this, but maybe later, or no, this isn't for me. I would I am okay and and I would be very happy working. 40 to 60 hours a week until I'm 65. Again, nothing wrong with that, but I just right. think it's better to have options. And that's such an education in and of itself because again, personally growing up, I just thought my path was whatever my parents wanted for me and whatever they modeled or their friends modeled. And it was just that it so happened that the community that we were in, there weren't a lot of entrepreneurs. We didn't talk a lot about investing. It was an immigrant community that largely was risk averse uh, to the extent that like they had taken the big gamble just getting here. And then now Mm -hmm. they were ready to like play it safe because that was like they were done gambling their lives and they had taken the biggest risk, which was coming here. So they wanted to play it's safe. That makes a hundred percent sense for where they were in their lives. But growing up, I think that was a missed opportunity for me, I think, to be able to, to know, just know, and maybe I didn't have to see it, just to know that there are other ways to build wealth. And it sounds like your book is really delivering that promise for, for its readers. Yeah. And I, I even have a community, an online community called the Sheik Streaks community where Gen Z people, if they're interested in early financial independence or passive income or frugality, that is a community they can come to and surround themselves with like-minded other young people because it's a pretty, you know, they are freakish, right? Like that's the theme of my book and the title of the community, the Sheik's Freaks, they are very different. If you're young and you are motivated enough to engage in your financial future, to read a book or listen to a podcast or join a community, you are very different. That That is unique. Most young people, they don't mind learning about money, but they're not ready to take massive action today. And so my community where I see these young people come together, um, share resources, hold each other accountable. We have Zoom calls with guest speakers all the time. would love to have you on sometime, Farnoosh. Uh, you would be a great guest for us to have. Uh, then I can, I, you know, that's fun for me. It's like a, a classroom, but the, as a teacher, it's the perfect classroom because all the students are engaged and they're, you know, and they're super and they're motivated. They're providing the material. <laughs> yeah. And, and many times they are exactly. Yeah. They're providing the, the lesson plan. Well, I'm just so appreciative that you're doing what you're doing. So often people come to me, parents wanting resources for their children. And this, this is it like Sheik's Freaks, y'all. I'll put the link in our mm-hmm. show notes and the book. Dan, thank you so much. I'd be happy to join you on your show. And uh, thanks for spending time with us. Congrats on the book. Thank you. And I just want to throw out if uh, any of your listeners want to reach out to me, 
Uh, best way to do that is just email dan at chicstreaks.com. Whether, you know, I have tons of free stuff I can give parents and Gen Zers uh, to help them, you know, begin a, a, a much better journey with their money. Thanks, Dan. That's super generous. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, Dan Sheeks, for joining us. I have all the links to visit his website, grab his book in our show notes, and please keep the questions coming for Friday's episode of Ask Farnoosh. I'll see you back here then. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money. <laughs>